Today on the podcast, I have the very famous, amazing women from the podcast show Mommying While Muslim. And so today I have on the show Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey, and they're going to be breaking down all of the stereotypes and you know preconceived notions and fears and everything else that goes along with our fear of the Muslim community and I'm so excited to talk to them today. They're they're the most gracious, kind, loving women who just have tolerated me in my pre-interview. And so I hope you all stay tuned to listen to me probably step on all over myself, trying to understand and be a better citizen of this world. So stay tuned and get on board with me to this amazing learning moment with these two beautiful Muslim women. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willis. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. So thank you so very much to Zeba and Uzma for being here today. I'm so blessed. I'm so excited for my listeners to hear from you and all that you're going to bring to the podcast today. So thank you both so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. As all of my listeners know, I always do a pre-interview so I know where this is going to go. (laughs) And because, you know, like in our pre-interview, I just sat there and like, I think I might have grunted a couple times and said, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know anything about Muslim and all that good stuff. And so we talked about a lot, the Sharia law, and we talked about Allah Akbar and and all of these big, big ideas and big things to white America. Mm-hmm. And and th- I mean, this is your jam. Mommy, my Muslim, you're 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 talking about this and everything else all day, which most of your listeners are probably Muslim. So they know what all of these things are. And, and, and I want you to know that the reason that I'm talking in this way is because I kind of want to from our conversation moving forward, you were talking about, hey, there's it's Adam and Eve and it's Jesus and it's Mary. And I got super comfortable and I'm like, oh my gosh, warm and fuzzies. They're just like me. And as I went on a walk every day, I went, but that's, that's not important. (laughs) It hit me. It hit me in the head. Both of you guys. I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. I'm doing it. I'm saying if you're like me, If what you believe is really kind of close to what I believe almost exactly, you know, then then it's okay. And I got really grossed out with myself (laughs) because I was doing it. I did it. And so I went for another walk today and I was in the shower today and I went, but what if it's nothing like me? What if it's Mm -hmm. nothing like Christianity? What if it's nothing? What if there is no... Is it still okay? And the answer is yes. And that's why I'm so glad that you're here today. Yay. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I mean, you know, that's a kind of, I love your epiphany because that's something that we should all be having too, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. all, we all feel that way. Like, oh, this is something familiar. Then it's okay. It feels safe. And when it's not, you know, we, we tend to close off. So I think it's a really good lesson. Thank you for sharing that for me. Yeah, it was it was really kind of this really pivotal thing that I went, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm doing it. And I want you guys to share because I am not. Let's just start with the fact that Muslim 
is a religion. There's a lot of different ways to practice with a hijab and with not and all sorts of different ways. So can you explain kind of your religion to all of my listeners? Can I do some basic definitions and then I'll pick, I'll let Zeba pick it up. Yes. So just to lay kind of the groundwork, you know, our English speaking ears are used to those first consonant sounds. So Hindus follow Hinduism, Christians follow Christianity, Jews follow Judaism, and then Muslims come along and we mess it up because the religion is Islam. So okay. it's a vowel. And then the followers of the religion are called Muslim. And sometimes, <laughs> huh? Sorry? No, you no. didn't interrupt. This is a learning experience, right? For hey, all of see, us. Hey, guys, I told you I was going to mess it up. <laughs> so we have a consonant for the followers, but a vowel for the religion. And that makes it really hard. And so people, especially English speakers, especially people in the media who are English speakers, are using that vowel to create other nouns. So we know this new term that has developed in the last four years, Islamist right? It's not a word. (laughs) It's not a word. And we know exactly what two words you're mixing up in order to make it and shame on you for doing that, right? But Muslims follow the religion of Islam. And I'll stop with the definitions. And, you know, earlier you had said that most of our listeners are Muslim. And I wanted Zeba to talk about the irony of the truth. Well, I'm listening too. So I mean, I'm going to be your one off. So, no, actually, a majority of our listeners are non-Muslim. I love that. Isn't that funny? And we, I mean, and, and believe it or not, evangelical Christian is a big part of it. They're and they reach, to run. They're running and, the other way. And no, but I, I think, I, you know, and good for them. You know, you do have to say good for them because they are trying, th- these are the portion of the population that actually is trying to understand is trying to grow is understanding that they're coming from a different viewpoint that perhaps that's not the case. And, and in listening to us, maybe getting a glimpse, like as a fly on the wall is what we've been told is how they experience it, that they can kind of listen to us. And we kind of answer some of the questions that perhaps they're a little bit too embarrassed or, or feel ignorant to ask, but you know, Usman and I are so so open that we're like there are no dumb questions when you're coming from a, a point of understanding and learning. There are no dumb questions. So that was one of our interesting things that we found out. And to be Muslim literally just means to submit your life, your soul to God. So people who do that are Muslim. You know, so that's another thing that I don't think a lot of people understand that it's really in Islam means peace, right? And so we're submitting to this divinity, this divine to create peace in in the universe. That's kind of my perspective of Islam. And, you know, Isma has a, it might have a slightly different perspective, but really at the end of the day, the core is we are followers of a faith to ultimately b- bring good unto the world. But Usma can give you the, the more technical, she is a certified Islam speaker. I'm more of the meditative, go sit down and pray and, you know, get all that good, good stuff. No, and she's right. I do go out and get invited to speak on Islam. So I've been heavily trained in it, which is why, again, there's no, like Zeba said, there's no dumb question. So um, Arabic is a Semitic language. So the Semitic languages are Arabic, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and they all have three-letter root words. Mm -hmm. And so you have a three-letter root word, and then you derive like nouns, verbs, adverbs, adjectives from those three-letter root words. So the root word salama is the same one that is shalama in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. No shalom, salam is just Arabic for 
shalom. So salam, shalom, peace is kind of how we, you know, make our introductions at our interface gatherings. But when you add an M sound to salam to make the word Muslim, then you get the person, the person who is trying to seek peace and ultimately trying to seek peace through following God. And what's critically important to understand if somebody is really wondering, like, you know, what are these people and what do they really believe? Muslims believe they're worshiping the same God as the God of Abraham and Adam Mm -hmm. and Jesus and that same exact God. They just call him Allah because, again, going back to the three-letter root word, Elah means God, Al-Elah, but if you say it really fast, is Allah is the one God. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And in Aramaic, guess what Jesus called God? He didn't say God. He called him Allah because in Aramaic, mm-hmm. the word God is Allah. So it's just a translation. It's not a different God. It's the exact same God, like I said, of the other two monotheistic faiths. But because Islam is a little bit newer and a little bit, I don't know, for was a little bit more exotic back in the 80s. And now it is like super scary since the late 80s and post 90s Gulf War and stuff, Desert Storm now it's it's just a scary thing you mentioned earlier allahu akbar muslims say that all the time the media has made it seem like allahu akbar something bad is about to happen but muslims say it when they wake up when they go to sleep when they see something nice when they're happy when they're sad when they stub their toe there's no such thing in islam as taking the lord's name in vain you're actually encouraged as a muslim to say it a lot so they have all kinds of ways to mention god's name throughout the day god willing go with god be with god thanks to god you know so like hallelujah is not considered taking the lord's name in vain but the actual translation is praise to god right muslims say alhamdulillah which kind of sounds like hallelujah so they're always saying god's name including getting on a plane and getting a little bit scared at takeoff or landing and saying Allahu Akbar, but it could get you kicked off the flight, you know? So true story. It's amazing. I mean, to go back to what you were referencing, what we talked about before though, is it, what's the book you guys, what's your like a Bible? The scriptures, the Quran. Thank you. That Jesus is in there, <laughs> that Mary is in there. Like I you know, I mean, and, and I'm, you know, you know me, I'm first to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. And <laughs> and you're so gracious to help me through it. But I, I promise you 100% of my white listeners right now do not know that. Hmm. 100%. Wow. Now, your friends that you might be bringing over to listen today probably are going to know that because they've been paying attention or they're already involved. But I think that that's really, I think that these things, these little tiny pieces, although I'm angry at myself for kind of getting sucked into it, it still is important that to know it, that, mm-hmm. that they are very similar, like that, that shouldn't make it better or okay, right. as I had mentioned, because if it was totally different, it still is okay, but it is there. And so I think that's really interesting to acknowledge and to understand that there are a lot of similarities and the media and the news, just as they paint many times in the evening news, people of color, that they're doing all of the crime in mm-hmm. the city of Chicago, all of the crime <laughs> in New York City, all of the drugs, it's all, all of that, the drugs, <laughs> all of the car thieves, you know, and so in our subconscious, we're like, oh my God, black people and people of color, that's all they're doing is crime, yada. So it's kind of like we're being brainwashed. And so when we see in the news, people are dancing at 9-11 and Allah Akbar and people in trucks. And, and so we just kind of paint this really wide brush of Muslims are bad, period. 
mm-hmm. end of story, no discussion. I don't want to know anything about you. Your religion is bad. All you want to do is kill me and an Americans. And then you go a little bit deeper and none of that is any more real than the evening news. What is happening? Mm-hmm. You guys need a new PR agent. <laughs> we think we're our own best PR. Podcast. Yeah, yes. we're our <laughs> own PR agents. Because, you know, here's the thing. Like, as Muslims who were born and raised in this country, we knew fake news existed before it became a term. Mm-hmm. You know, because we knew that the media was not showing and not was not showing a balanced perspective. And now, as media has become more and more privatized in our lifetimes, you know, we're going to get less authentic sources. And that's why we need to learn to read critically, which I don't even think they teach anymore in school. Do you remember, mm-hmm. like, they taught us, like, how to source? stuff and how to go back and verify your sources back in school. You know, you could get an F on a paper if you didn't cite your references. Yeah. Now you can be a freaking multimillionaire or I don't know, president for doing that. So yeah. 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 And we have talked about- I do about- have to say, I did get an F on a paper for not citing sources. <laughs> that just happened this and week. And rightly so, miss. What? Okay. <laughs> Apparently I forgot to cite my sources and I was like, oh my God, like, I got an uh-uh. F on my well, paper. So and that does, ha- it like does happen. MLA. And then there was another one and you yes, had to use the, the Chicago right- style. Yes. This and that. They, yeah. They didn't want me to use the Chicago style and they want, they were like, I did didn't pay attention. Yeah, I'm going on a tangent, but I did get in trouble for not using the right See, sources. So they're still holding you to yeah. Hopefully to there's standards. Hope. I know, right? So the other thing that we were talking about, because I'm just as intrigued. So like there's, you know, there's that part of me that's, you know, doesn't know, but we were talking about, and, and I want the listeners to understand that just as there are as many types of people and ways to practice Christianity are probably the same amount of ways to practice Islam mm-hmm. and the numbers of Muslim people. Look at me, learn. I know <laughs> it happens fast. So, so we can't paint a wide brush about people of color. We can't paint a wide mm-hmm. brush about Christianity or Judaism or Hindu or Muslim. None of it. We need to not assign a shelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to stop with the shelves and just putting people what makes us comfortable. These are safe. These are not safe. This is I understand. This is I don't understand. And go deeper. Mm-hmm. Take take a minute to learn what is Sharia law. Right. Mm-hmm. What what does the headdress that you're wearing signify? So I'm going to give this to you because you 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 know mm-hmm. everything. How <laughs> we live it. Yeah. Yes. Right. So the head covering is called the hijab. In some Arabic-speaking countries, it's called the qimar if it's a little bit longer and fuller. But it just means to cover up. I think some people will call it a veil. But typically, I think when they're talking about the veil, they're talking about the niqab, which is the face covering Mm -hmm. that a lot of women culturally practiced even Mm pre-Islam in Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula. And they continue to do that more as a cultural practice, although there is a contingency of Muslims who believe that it is required for Muslim women to wear it. The only women who are required, according to Muslim scripture, to wear it were the wives of Muhammad after he died, maybe even in his lifetime. So see, I don't know everything. <laughs> so that's something that I have to look up to. But really, it's modest dress code for both Muslim men and women, regardless of whether you cover your hair or not, like the skin tight, skinny jeans, bare skin. That's not allowed for either gender. 
Okay. In Islam, but women tend to get more politicized because for some reason, a woman wearing a lot of clothing is problematic. <laughs> to and who? so, to French people, apparently, <laughs> right. anybody's been following the news, <laughs> France, the cradle of democracy, so it says, and, you know, kind of the basis of our American revolution is now threatening the, you know, freedom of religion and civil rights and civil liberties of French Muslims. So, mm-hmm. like, something like, what did we say it was? Five million French people living, French Muslims living in the country. I think I might have that number right. I was just citing it on Friday and I forgot already. Mm. But yeah, when you have examples like that, it's not soon after things like that happen that the rest of the world starts following suit. Like if one nation has made it okay, that is a quote unquote developed nation or quote unquote first nation, then we should follow suit because that's more civilized than these savages who cover up their women and say, Allahu Akbar, take the Lord's name in vain all the time. And they don't fast and stuff, or they don't observe a Sabbath, whatever. They're, they're crazy people. Getting to know you both, listening to your podcast, I love that you call each other sisters, the the whole community. I, I heard that on your podcast. If anyone, please go listen to Mommying My Well Muslim. There's just a very, a sweetness. There's a sisterhood that it's like you just want to crawl inside of and be a part of because there's just like this space that's held that you guys hold for your listeners And you kind of, I'm getting, when I listen, it's almost as if I'm like kind of peeking behind the curtain and getting to see this really beautiful sisterhood of you all talking and sharing and supporting and listening. And there was one thing that we were talking about where you said, if there's a problem in our religion, we're, we're told to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk about that? Because I thought, you know, like good Christians, good English people from, you know, England, we sweep everything in the, under the rug and pretend like everything's okay. And just don't talk about it. I mean, can we talk about the Catholic religion where we just keep moving priests from building mm-hmm. to building and they keep, you know, molesting children and somehow that's okay. Yeah. So we'll have to have you on for another podcast for talking about religion. (laughs) But so it tends to be more of the sweeping it under the rug in families, Mm -hmm. in marriages, in children. Like if our kid's doing something bad, we want to cover it up. We don't want anyone to know about it. If our religion is doing anything wrong, we don't want. And your religion is not that way. And it's It's not supposed to be that way. Right. Culturally, it has been that way. Mm -hmm. So I want to point that out. (laughs) So we also have had to deal with that culturally. And part of what we're doing and what our generation gets to do as American-born Muslims is to go back to the roots of the religion minus the culture, because our culture is being American, right? And so in, in, and actually I would say we as American Muslims, practice a more authentic version of Islam than some of, some of our counterparts, because we have taken the centuries of culture off and focused on the actual study of the doctrine and what it was supposed mm. to do and was supposed to represent. So we have that luxury. And, and I would I would even argue that our parents didn't have that, uh, that luxury. That generation was here trying to survive. Yeah. We're the generation that's thriving by God's grace because of the foundation that our parents and our immigrant 
parents have laid for us. So I want to point that out and give them credit for credits due and they did what they could. But now we are able to practice this authentic Islam is what I like to call it. And I believe Uzma calls it too, but she, she can speak for herself. As you can see, she can definitely speak for herself, my a fellow mom sister, but we're able to practice this authentic Islam. And in, in doing so, we are shedding light on the issues that have plagued our community. Mm. And our hope is in raising that next generation, that native born American child that they're even just going to be just one more step further in our evolutionary process. So that, and that was ultimately the goal of Momming Well Muslim for, for Osman and myself was to shed light on these topics that people don't want to talk about and to let them know that it's okay. We're still here to support you. And even if we don't agree with you, because we don't agree with everybody that comes on the show, we are here to provide you the resources that you might need, or if somebody else is in following in your footsteps or trying to figure out something or learn something from you, we might not agree with you, but we are going to be here to support you and to help you get further than you might otherwise get, because we're here to provide that, that village for you. Yeah. And it was when you were just talking about removing kind of the cultural kind of muck, if you will, Mm -hmm. that's kind of been attached to the religion it kind of, it kind of resonates with a lot of the conversations that I've had in this series, which is this unlearning of yes. human and going back to the basics. Like if you go back to Jesus's teaching, it actually says in the Bible, don't call anyone father, but God, but yet ever, all the Catholic people run around calling priests father. It's like literally in black and white. Like what's going on? And, and mind you, I'm, you know, I'm considered myself a Christian, a spiritual Christian. So like it, but it's the same thing. Like, and then we're going to pray to these different, this is, and that's, and, and, you know, whatever we're going to stand up, sit down and commute and all these things that we've added on that's created guilt, that's created rules, legalism, they call it in the Baptist religion. And so I see what you're saying. And the same thing holds true with the other things that I've been talking about, which is unlearning all the garbage that I learned from school and social media and the news and my parents and whatever about people of color in general. It's literally an unlearning, a cracking open of my mind and heart and going, everything that I've kind of been taught is bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and now I have to unlearn. And that was the process that I went through, which was the white fragility that I, you mm-hmm. know, had of, but this hurts. I don't want to mm-hmm. give it up. I like mm-hmm. my, you know what I mean? And that, that pain of knowing that I have been thinking and feeling racist thoughts and not even knowing it. Right. You know? And so what you're talking about it's different, but the same is literally going back to like, Islam 101. Yeah, exactly. This is what Literally. it says. This is what we're doing. This is how we're supposed to support our friends and family and sisters. Mm-hmm. This is how we're supposed to practice. Let's remove all of the muck. The noise, yeah. which is man-made, right? Because to Zeba's point, the reason why we have the luxury of studying a more authentic Islam is because our female counterparts in the rest of the world were subjected to men and the Mm -hmm. understandings and interpretations of men, because we have to remember that a lot of these countries, only 5% of women 
are educated, right? Mm -hmm. As compared to, uh, compared to 10, 11% in more developed countries. And that's a function of misogyny that's global, right? And so when even the men are not literate in the authentic Arabic, and they mm. have been taught through generations of other men who were illiterate in Arabic. So much, it's like a game of telephone, right? Mm -hmm. For centuries. So much gets lost. So much gets lost in translation. Just and added. Yeah, added mm -hmm. and subtracted. And so the women just through time have gotten their rights stripped away and they're not any wiser because maybe if they're lucky, they get to read the scripture in Arabic and they're taught that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter if only 20% of the world's Muslim population is Arabic speaking. The majority, 80% mm -hmm. are non-Arabic speaking. So they're literally just reading the text because that is tradition, but they don't understand a lick of it. Mm -hmm. And so what are you applying? You're applying men's understanding. And what's wrong with these men since the sixth century? White Eurocentric colonialism, mm -hmm. right? Which brought its own set of misogynistic principles in there and said women are not even human. They coined hysteria. Whereas in Islam, the authentic tradition is that the first scholars were women, mm -hmm. the wives of Muhammad who were teaching. And until the sixth century, it was Muslim women that the men used to go to to learn. And the four huge, the four biggest schools of thought in Islam, all of those scholars, I think categorically, all of those scholars were raised by single women who, even if they weren't educated or literate themselves, their stories are well known and their sacrifices are well known what they did for their sons to make sure they got them to the right teachers and got them educated. So we even owe our four schools of thought, the four major schools of thought of Islam to women, you know, and that is the authentic history of Islam that no woman in an, uh, in an underdeveloped country will ever learn. But coming yeah. here and having the advantage of higher education and having the advantage of different points of view and not growing up in this homogenous Muslim country, I mean, mm -hmm. we can tell Muslims from all over the world and learn, oh, that's how you pray and that's how you practice and that's what you believe and that's what you speak and that's what you eat. And say whatever you will about the melting pot, the variety of people that you have in America is a beautiful thing. And being able to get confused and talking to each other and say, I didn't know that. Okay, wait, let me go back and look. And then all of us going back and looking at the authentic text and saying, oh, crap, we learned it wrong. Our parents mm -hmm. taught it wrong. And then going back and teaching our parents to unlearn it. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of been really cool, at least for me. Mm -hmm. saying, hey, everything you taught us about this particular made-up holiday, made up. My <laughs> <laughs> parents like, what are you talking about? Our grandparents or a whole neighborhood and everybody celebrates. Like, nope, totally made up. We didn't have to do any of this stuff. So and it's been what, really, really fun. Yeah. And when you're talking about that, I'm, I'm saying, you're, you're saying these things are happening in the third world, underdeveloped countries. And so it's getting kind of askew. And as a white person looking my brain has always said, no, that's Islam that's doing that. Mm -hmm. I've equated holding women back, holding women down, not teaching them, blah, 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 not as being a third world problem or a that country problem, but that's a Muslim problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How nope. interesting is that? How interesting is that I've equated and that's not the case because no one's saying you have to do it that way or you're doing it wrong which in catholicism and, and in the christian religion many many times you're not to question you're mm -hmm. not to say well why are we doing that i mean i know some christian religions you're not really supposed to read the bible really what yeah wow like you're just it's not in church you oh, get a wow. hymnal and you get a prayer book you don't get the bible 
You're not Ooh. really supposed to go there. So, so that's like, you're not even allowed to research all these things that you've been told to question, but what you're telling me. And, and the other thing that I'm interested in, and as you're talking about this is like, we have Baptist and, you know, Catholic and Episcopalian. We have all these different pieces, parts, mm-hmm. but that kind of goes up to Jesus and Mary and Joseph and that. But what you're saying is, is we have different ways of practicing, but they're all, it's all coming from the same place. There's no piecemeal. There's no separation of how it's done. It all goes back to one place. One I teachings. Mean, I feel like your question is asking about the sex the S-E-C-T-S of Islam, kind of like the sex of Christianity. Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because like we have like different, I don't know. Yeah, you have a million different denominations. Yeah, yeah, denominations. Thank, Thank you. you. That's the right word. <laughs> I would say $10. that, you know, we have Sunnis <laughs> yes. and Shias. And then within the Shiites, there's like a bunch of different sects within there. Okay. And then in Sunnism, you're following one of the four major schools of thoughts. And that's based on practice, but the actual creed is exactly the same. Gotcha. One so there are little is, pieces. Yeah. That you can, there are variances. Down. Like Zeba and I pray differently, but the standard number and set of prayers and how we perform them, that's okay. But there's little nuances like oh, how I hold my finger, how I fold my hands, you know, that's different and that's okay because as long as Muhammad did any of the above, they're all correct. So oh, that's how gotcha. the schools of thought differ. Gotcha. If that I mean, answers your question. Yeah, no, it totally does. Cause that means in my mind that, so there are different pieces, parts, but they all go back to Mary Joseph mm-hmm. and God too. And this goes in over here in the same, but there's little different ways of doing it, but it all goes back to the same kind of concept. And that's the rituals. That's something I want to point out. It's the rituals, but it's not necessarily the, creed. the core values or the, the creed behind what is being told. So the exact, so yeah, maybe the, the physical act of prayer might be different, but what is being said is the same. Gotcha. So that I think is something that needs to be pointed out. Yes. And the other thing that we were talking about is the way that you're, because my thing is in, in doing this entire series is we need to make a better place for our kids. And we need to stop the insanity and we need to have real dialogue about who people really are and what they're about and can make connections. And that's why I want to bring so many different people onto my platform to introduce my new friends and their podcasts to another group of people. Because I feel like when you sit down and you have a glass of wine or tea or coffee with someone and you start talking to them about what they do on the daily, who are their kids? What do they worry about? Every single one of us are saying the same, we want a better Mm -hmm. place for our kids tomorrow. And that's why I really want this to happen so that my children understand and my children aren't watching the news and believing the fake news of what leaders are saying and what the televisions are saying and the fear mongering. I had told you that when I went to India last year, they had all over the news the week prior, there's uh, bombing Muslim and protesting. And my daughter and I were not going to go on our trip that we had been planning 
for six months. But we had a friend who was actually in India at the time. And she's like, yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening. It's like, (laughs) there's like, there's like one issue. You know what I mean? It's like, this is happening. No, it's actually not. And so we got on the plane and we landed in New Delhi. Nothing's happening. But they, <laughs> you know, they the way they, they build it up build so it up, much. Yeah. You're like, holy crap, this is happening. And none of it was happening. So that's what we need to get is, is we're gone are the days where we can just read. If we truly want change, we have to sit down. We have to have these conversations. We have to have people that are so wonderful that tolerate, like you guys, that tolerate someone like me that goes, hey, I want to know more. Let's sit down and talk about this so that people that listen to my show who might not find you guys in the browse section of podcasts, they get to hear about you Mm -hmm. and what you're doing. And so you were talking about and, and, and I've heard this story every single podcast. My son is the cutest little boy who in a few years is going to go to the airport and have mm-hmm. a problem. And I don't want, and if my son is the TSA agent, if my daughter is the police officer at the airport, I want them to know better so that they can do better. 100%. Holy it was shit. the O'Hare air part. Airport, FYI, in Chicago. <laughs> so tell Just me your, about it. I know, right? So tell us yes, your story because I think about it. <laughs> no, and I think that people need to understand because because that was between us when we were talking. If you're open to sharing with everyone, what happened to you? Well, like to speak of like white fragility or things like that. Obviously, I have had the the good fortune, I should say, of being white passing. So because I'm white passing, I'm able to experience the world slightly differently than Osma, for instance. And even when we're together, I see the stares, the looking over the shoulder, the this and that. And we've had very frank conversations because they'll come to me and be like, hey, how are you? And then she'll come around, literally come around the corner and it's like a double take suspicious, like what's going on. I call it the tightness. It's a tight and you feel it. You feel feel the the tightness. Mm -hmm. And so obviously I'm going through life a little bit differently than for instance, my son, my son is slightly darker complected, even though we did the DNA test and he has more white in him than any of my other three (laughs) children. So I thought that was very funny though, even though his skin is a little bit darker complected. And so we were at O'Hare Airport coming home because our family still lives in Chicago. And it was kind of our, we go there for six weeks every single year. And on our way back, he was wearing a Northwestern shirt because we had just toured the school. My husband is an alum. We're like, oh, it could be a good fit for you. But he was just starting high school. But, and, you know, he had grown and starting to become a little bit manly looking. And he was at the front of the line because I'm always the caboose. And as we're at the front, you know, I'm with his younger brother and I'm seeing something and he's just kind of like taking his beats off. Like, what are you talking about? Like him being searched and questioned. Then finally, I was just like, this doesn't seem normal. Go up to there. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, he doesn't have an ID. He cannot go forward. I'm like, he is 14 years old and we don't have to have an ID. And no, there's no way he's 14. Of course he was wearing a college shirt. So I think they had assumed he was a little bit older and then he, they're ultimately make a long story short. They let us go after about 20 to 30 minutes, but only after he got searched, had his bag searched, had to be pulled aside and all of that. As a mom watching that, it was the first time I had ever experienced that othering to the degree that it was and the feeling of hopelessness 
because you're, you kind of feel like you can't question them. You know, obviously my last name is Hassan, So it's a very Muslim last name. So when somebody hears my name, then it's kind of this question thing, but this is the first time I saw with my own eyes, something happening to one of my children. And he as a native born American kid, you know, Mr. Captain of the basketball team plays baseball. Like, I mean, all American kid was so like, what in the world just happened? And we had to have a very frank conversation about, yeah, you were a boy before, but now you're a Muslim man and your experiences are going to be a little bit different. I reached out to Uzma, my childhood friend, because I was just like, I don't even know how to explain this to him. I don't, I've never had this happen before. I've never like what in the world? And her first response was, why the hell do you not travel with your passport? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> She's and never traveled I, while Muslim. <laughs> I've never traveled. I never traveled while Muslim. And it was just never a thing that I had to deal with. But of course, now we got the TSA. We got, well, I, I, we're like, we will You're take ready. care of it. We will be ready. But at the time I was very lost and confused because there weren't there wasn't a platform that we're talking about these very types of issues. What do you do when that happens? Who do I call? H- how do you question without instigating an issue? All these things that moms of Muslim children, one, have experienced or will experience. And how do you talk to your children about it that have no affiliation with any other country than America? And that's kind of the crux and our quest to find the answers was kind of how mommy well Muslim was born. Yeah. And this is what I talk about too, is I think it's so important for white people to understand that when, when I talk about wherever I'm talking social media or on the podcast about white privilege, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. No one's stopping me because my son Brock is now 14 years old and looks like a blonde haired, blue eyed guy. No mm-hmm. one, no one. And that is that privilege when your skin color is just not one of your problems, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering what, if anything, does it make sense to learn more or do more? I know a lot of people of color that have come on the podcast have said, you know, like teach your kids about different colors and about different experiences and about the history, the true history of Mm -hmm. America. And that is what I can do as a white parent to bring up children who, if they are a police officer, a firefighter or a doctor, and they're in the real world where people don't all look like us, they're better citizens of the world. And so what would you say to the white parents that would make me and my children better citizens and better friends and better counterparts to your children and to your community? I would say, ask the questions. You know, I am pretty blessed that my kids are pretty international and they do a lot of interfaith work themselves. And and I always love to tell this story. There was one time I took a whole bunch of teenagers, you know, which in and of itself is its own thing, right? <laughs> to some fright fest thing. And, you know, and they let me tag along, which is a blessing in and of itself. So you kind of see a glimpse into their life. Mm. And one of the girls was like, everybody, like, I'm scared, you know, let's pray to Jesus and come in, let's do a prayer circle. And then my son was like, I, I'll come into the prayer circle, but we have to add my prayers as well. And then 
randomly all the kids, one was Buddhist, one was, believe it or not, one was Christian, one was Buddhist, a couple were Jewish, and there were two Muslim boys. And I was just watching this and watching them be totally open to praying together to their own version of God and that God is God. Right. And I was just so excited to see that. And part of, and then on our ride home, you know, I was talking to my son, I'm like, so he's like, yeah, we just talk about it openly and what the difference is. It's, it's never been an issue. And part of the reason is I think they all are not afraid to ask each other questions to gain that understanding. Whereas I feel like as adults, we lose the ability to feel like we can question or reach out. And, you know, maybe it's, we're not receptive or show that we're receptive or maybe it's fear. I think it's fear. Yeah. Fear based. And that's my thing is like, don't be afraid. Yeah. I don't know everything about everything, but I love learning about other religions and other cultures and other. And if I don't know, I'm just like, I'm going to ask you because I want to understand where did this come from? And it's it's a natural curiosity. So that would be my personal advice for kids. Like, don't be afraid to ask. Like if you have that Muslim person, instead of assuming, ask them, you'd be surprised by how many people are open Mm -hmm. to being like, okay, like, this is what it is. We're not that different. We're not scary. I'm not out to get you. And in doing so, I think you can kind of, again, you're not saying it's okay to be different or not. Okay. But you are saying, okay, I understand you a little bit and I know you a little bit better. I think that's good advice for kids, but like for adults, you know, and I give this advice to myself first, Mm -hmm. look at your social circle. Uh, post-pandemic, of course, <laughs> right? Like, or once or you're vaccinated, vaccinated and you're socially, like you don't have to socially distance <laughs> so we can live or do it with masks on. That's fine too. But look at your own social circle. And if everybody mm. looks like you and thinks like you and talks like you and acts like you, that's a problem. Yeah. Mm. That's the problem. Because in the early eighties, I remember living on a very international street and everybody knew everybody and the whole street raised us all the mm. different colored kids. We ran through those houses. They didn't even know. They would have to count us at the end of the day to make sure we all got to the right houses. They would be calling our parents and saying, so-and-so cussed a big one today or so-and-so did not eat. I offered and she didn't eat, you know? So they were our family. And somewhere along the way that changed. I don't know when, because I was going through college and going through grad school. So by the time my kids came, it was garage doors, man. Like nobody knows anybody. I don't, I don't really talk to my neighbors, maybe the guys on the right-hand side, but the lady on the left wants to have nothing to do with me. So it, it just, that's the way it is. And it's so sad. And I think that's the problem. Like we need to know. And as Muslims, it's incumbent on a Muslim. Mm-hmm. If your neighbor is hungry, you must feed him or her. There's no, if she's purple, if he's right. yellow, if he's Muslim, non-Muslim, if he's straight, gay, doesn't matter. You are responsible for your neighbors. And here we can't even start a conversation because they're so afraid when they see us being visibly Muslim that, oh, you're just so different. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But my desire is if you see my kid messing up somewhere in the neighborhood, I would like you to set him straight. Like I expect that because you are my first village, right? But that's just not what's happening. And so we see a lot of times, or at least I have felt this a lot of times where at schools, at school-related activities, at social events, people who look alike make a circle Mm -hmm. and they stay there and nobody's inviting anybody else. So everybody's in their little pockets. And that's why the world sucks right now. Because yeah. only what's happening in my pocket is relevant and important. And I don't care if the next pocket doesn't have their sunscreen or their kid needs an extra diaper because he crapped through like two of them already. 
we don't even hold babies on planes anymore for mamas. And she's struggling. Like, can we do this for her? Like she's got 32 bags and folding stroller. Right. Now what we do is have people say, Oh, that baby's diaper stinks. It's like me, whoever smelt it, dealt it, dude. I just changed (laughs) this baby's diaper. Don't tell me my baby's diaper stinks. You're sitting by the bathroom. That's the problem. That's the problem. Can you, can you make that baby shut up? It's like, Oh, do you really, (laughs) are you asking a Muslim woman to go like ape on you in the middle of a flight, like you know, because like, I will, and then I'll get, I'll be the one that gets in trouble. Right? You're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, right? I'm gonna say, Please gonna don't trouble. do that. Please don't yeah. do that because they're gonna kick you out. I know, right? Well, I mean, we were already in the air, so it was like they couldn't do anything. But you know, that's the kind of mentality that we have is very tribalism. Uh, is it tribalism or is it just being a an egotistical asshole that cannot? Yeah. Like I just have blinders on to everything outside of my immediate. Interest taking field care of vision. taking care of number one. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, but it goes back to America first, America only, mm-hmm. America. We're not a global community anymore. It's like okay, mm-hmm. pretty much everything you have in your house is from another country. Exactly. You settle <laughs> down with your, you know, America, and, yeah. and and it is important. Like you know, like if, when you donate money or you donate things do that, but you should pay your mortgage first so that no one has to, to help you, you know? Right. So it is important to take care of your world first, mm-hmm. but as soon as that's done, now it needs to bleed out. You know what I yes. mean? And now it needs, but I was listening to Brene Brown. She did a podcast just recently and I put it in the show notes, but she talked about, and this is going back to what you were just saying, like where we, we make the other not human we we, right. we dehumanize, dehumanize yeah the other and so then we can treat them like shit yeah because that's how we you, perform genocide right exactly so and they just did a study and she quotes it in her podcast so please go listen again it'll be in the show notes which episode it was but she talks about how feminists when they were when they were uh, talking to i think it was like right-wing type people when it and they were talking about how human these folks are and feminists were like 50% human and blacks <laughs> were like 60% human. And so it went down the line of this study that was done. And so the less human you are to me, then you now are dehumanized. And so now I can put you in a cage on the border. Now I can have a Muslim ban. Now I can put you in jail exponentially at rates that are not proportionate to your group of people. And so it talks, and I, I listened to that and thought about that we are dehumanizing everybody. And, and mm-hmm. she even said, don't dehumanize the right. Don't mm-hmm. dehumanize anybody. And, and someone said, oh, well, well, you know, do you listen to that orange, you know, the orange president? And she's like, no, because you're dehumanizing him. And that kind of gives him an allowance to be bad or act, be a bad actor. Right. Because he's not a human. No, he is. And we need to hold him as accountable as a real live hundred percent person. You know, it's like when they call a rapist an animal. No, he's a just a person who's done really bad things. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And so I think it's so important that we understand that this dehumanization that we're doing to people we do and don't like and that that makes sense to us and don't. That is what's creating this other divide. Mm-hmm. 
And that is what's making you over there and me over here. And I'm not going to ask you questions and better safe than sorry, you know, whatever it is. And, and it's creating these pockets of safety. Mm-hmm. I know everyone thinks like me. And, and, you know, the other thing too, is doing this podcast, I know I'm screwing up all over the place, but I'd rather screw up all over the place and have my kids have a better life, maybe for one or two things that yes. I've done in this lifetime, than get it right and sit with everyone that looks like me all the time that tells me how mm-hmm. smart and how funny I am and how I got it right. Because we all agree and we're all on the same damn page. Mm-hmm. That safety is what's creating this illness that we have of the other. Yeah. And I would say instead of safety, I would say it's comfort because actually in creating these comfortable circles, these familiar circles, we've made the world less safe. Mm -hmm. He's so good. All right. Well, I know that you guys have to head out, but I am begging you to come back and be on again so we can talk about more stuff and you can make me way more smarter than I am today. And I just... I'm going to keep listening to your podcast because it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Like you're holding this nice space for me where I can just kind of be <laughs> at one with my, my Muslim sisters. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but you I'm going to, oh, you are, Am I? Yeah. we, ha- we yeah. have so many, no, so many non-Muslim women in our, in our Facebook group that love to, I mean, one of them, like, she's like our biggest fans and she welcomes everybody that comes oh. in and she goes, and I'm not even Muslim. And we're like, good, <laughs> keep it up. You own it. You do what you need to do. No, we love that. Well, I love you guys. And thank you so much for bringing all of your words and intelligence and sharing everything and putting up with me and what I don't know. And and I just, I really, really appreciate people like you who are trying like I am to make the world a better place for your kids and my kids and everyone, all of our listeners' kids. So I will see you again very soon. So thank you so much. We hope so. Thanks so much, Meredith. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillets.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.